thank you for your son Jesus. We thank you for the power of your spirit. We welcome you. We bless you that you have anointed our ears to hear. And you've anointed our hearts to receive. And so, Lord, we thank you that your word will bring change to our lives today. In Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. All right. Let's go straight into the message. John chapter 4. John chapter 4. We have been teaching now for weeks on the subject of worship. Grace-powered worship. And last Sunday, I started talking about unacceptable worship, which I'm going to continue there this morning. And then next Sunday, we're going to start on the acceptable worship. In John chapter 4, in verse 23, the Bible says, But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit, and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. Now let me just go back quickly just to give a very broad uh, review because I want to make sure that we really do understand this message. We said from the very beginning that worship is not just singing and praising and giving songs to God. From Colossians chapter 3, verse 17, the Bible says, Whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, you do it all to the glory of God. First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, same, same thing, basically. Whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. So the first thing I want you to understand and get about worship is that worship is not relegated to any day of the week. Worship is not relegated to any particular function, but that worship is your lifestyle. That bears repeating, because I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. I mean, even for me, for me, it's, you know, it was easy to think worship is when you come to church on Sunday. And of course, from there, what they sing on the platform. Now, singing from the platform is an expression of worship. But definitely not just all that worship is about. Worship is your lifestyle. What you do in the morning. What you do in the afternoon. What you do in the evening. What you do with your husband. What you do with your wife. What you do with your children. What you do with your co-workers. What you do with your business associates. How you respond to your government. What you do... Everything you do. Why is it like that? Why, why is God saying that? Worship means to honor God. To praise God. To adore him. To glorify him. To bless him. To give him the value that he alone deserves. So, when I honor my wife, because God says to do so, what have I done? I've honored God. And in so doing, I've worshipped. When I uh, take care of my children, as God desires for me to take care of them, to that degree, what have I done? I've honored God and thus worshipped him. 
Every time I obey God, in any scenario, in any situation, every time I honor his word and his instruction, and I obey that word and instruction, to that degree, I just worshiped. Huge. So this notion that some of, us, some, of, some of us may have, that we can live anyhow from Monday through Saturday. And I come to church on Sunday and put, up my, put on my Christianity face. And acquire my Christianese. I'm blessed. I'm favored. God is on my side. I mean, all of those things we say. That is nothing but the highest of hypocrisy. I want us to make sure you understand that. We cannot live anyhow all week long and come to church on Sunday and say, I'll go to worship. Really? Really? What did you do Monday through Saturday? You didn't worship. It's very important we understand that, on, that, that definition. That's why when Paul encourages us to worship, he did not give any date or any preference of day or time or place. Whatever you do, he says, whether you are eating or drinking, can you believe that? That when you drink and you're giving thanks that God provided the drink, you just worship? That when you're eating and you acknowledge the fact that there are many people who have nothing to eat, but that God has made a way and a provision for you to eat and eat well, that when you do that without knowledge and without understanding and without thanksgiving and disposition, that even something as simply as eating, you just worshipped. Hello? The reason I'm taking the time to say this over and over and over is because I know that this one message, if we get it right, it will change us totally, completely, forever. But not only that, it will give us the room to create the atmosphere within which God's glory manifests itself. Because every time we worship God, we just fulfilled the destiny and the reason for our creation. Revelation 4, 11 says, everything was created by God, for God, and for his pleasure, were created. So we give him pleasure when we worship. And this is the only time in the scripture the Bible will tell us that God is seeking something. Can you believe that? Can you believe that a, a, the, a, the mighty God who lacks nothing, who is sufficient in everything for, on everything, says in this one case, I'm seeking something. And what is he seeking? Not silver, not gold, but true worshippers. Simply meaning people who will acknowledge him. People who will give him the credence. Who will give him the credit. Who will give him the value of who he is. He's seeking true worshippers. Amen? Amen? Good. Now, Romans 12 2 tells us that we should not be conformed to this world, but that we should be transformed by the renewing of our minds so that we may prove that which is good and acceptable unto God which is our reasonable 
service, other translation says, are spiritual acts of worship. Okay? So the key word there is the word acceptable. Every service, every worship is not acceptable to God. First Peter 2.5 picks up the same thought. He says, you and I are living stones. We are built into a spiritual house to offer spiritual sacrifice that is acceptable to God. Remember that word acceptable. We're going to see it over and over and over and over in weeks to come. So again, we are given this thought in 1 Peter chapter 2, in verse 5, that there are certain modes, modes of worship that are not acceptable. And we need to know that. Before we start defining acceptable worship, I want to eliminate all those things that are not acceptable. So you know that very well, so you don't practice them. Amen? So Romans 12, 2, 1 Peter 2, 5, and now in John chapter 4, in verse 23, Jesus says, the Father is seeking true worshipers, which means there are false worshipers of false modes of worship. Amen? Are we together so far? So last Sunday, we covered the first one of those unacceptable modes of worship, and that is the worship of a false god. Worshipping before graven images. Worshipping before idols. And I said to us that it's easy for me and you to sit in North America in 2016 and say, ah, check that up off my box. That will never happen. I will never worship before a graven image. So, what we have done is, yes, we did not worship before graven images, thank God for that, but we've substituted our own images. And I gave you three of them last Sunday. Number one, the pursuit of pleasure. Living from thrill to thrill. Obsessed completely with thrill, fun, leisure. And we can't get enough of them. We cannot get enough of them. The irony about that is we do not have to make a choice between pleasure and God. Because Psalm 16 verse 11 tells us that in him is the path of life. And in his presence, the Bible says, there's fullness of joy. And at his right hand, pleasures forevermore. So the pleasure many of us seek on the outside are actually indeed found in God. He, Jehovah, is our ultimate pleasure. And when we locate ourselves in him and in his plan, I'm telling you, you get a thrill that this world can never offer you. Can never offer you. Hebrews 11.25 makes it clear. Moses had the opportunity to forsake his destiny to enjoy the pleasures and the wonders of Egypt in the house of Pharaoh. Yes. And this guy said, I have seen him who is invincible. I will not mortgage my destiny and my future for the pleasures of the palace. And as a result, the Bible says, he forsook the pleasures of sin for a season because of what is sin. What are we seeing today? Because we must understand that these pleasures that the world offers us, it passes. 
That's why Hebrews 11, 25 says, the pleasures of sin for a season. There is no dope you smoke that will give you a high forever. No alcohol that you drink that you enjoy and that taste will be in your mouth for the next five years. It's not possible. And the immorality that our society builds up and just really worship, it's the same thing. You get a three, you get a, you get a kick, it's over. You have to do it over and over and over again and again and again and get hooked and become totally, completely in bondage to that thing. And at the end of the day, it doesn't last. So the pursuit of pleasure is a false god. The pursuit of worldly gain. Oh, man, I need to give an offering to Larry Omanaye for what he did on Thursday night. No, seriously. And I just told him I want him to bring, bring that message to the body on the Sunday morning. That was a most powerful message. Brother Frank should give you a dollar right there. In my behalf. You will. Thank you. Thank you. You give me five. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about, grace. You see that? <laughs> Praise God. I, I, I don't want to go into, the mess, into what he shared because I want him to bring it to the body freshly on, on Thursday, but it, it, was, it was so poignant when he talks about worldly gain and how, how, how we must understand what it means and so that when we now offer to God monetarily our, our substance, what it really means. It's too powerful. It's too powerful. But you cannot serve two masters. Either you love the one or hate the other. Luke 16, 13, you either love God or you love mammon. There's no in-between. There's no in-between. Amen? Amen. And then lastly, the pursuit of knowledge. Knowledge, human reasoning. That's a God. There are people you cannot talk to about God because of their human reasoning. You just can't talk to them. They will give you 20 equations why God does not breathe oxygen? Some crazy, ridiculous thing. Yeah. Amen? So one has to be very, very careful. You cannot worship at the altar of pleasure, worldly gain, and knowledge. So now for today, let me, let me close it up today. Let's take it further. So, the unacceptable worship, we dealt with the first one. We talk about the fact that we cannot worship um, false God. Number two. Number two of false worship. This is the worship. Now hear this now. This is very tricky. Worship of the true God in a wrong way. We are talking about the modes of worship that are unacceptable. The first one is the worship of false God. I think we all see that. We all get that. That's easy. But the second one is the worship of the true God in a wrong way. Good example of that. Exodus 32. Please go there with me. Exodus chapter 32. Worship of the true God. But in a wrong way. So, verse 1, Exodus 32, verse 1. Now, when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, 
the people gathered together to Aaron and said to him, Come, make us gods that we should go, that should go before us. First, as for this Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we did not know what had become, become of him. And Aaron said to them, Break off the golden earrings which are in your ears of your wives and your sons and your daughters and bring them to me. So the people broke off the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand. And he fashioned it with an engraving tool and made a modern calf. Then they said, This is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. Can you believe that? I mean, how, how many days ago was it that God delivered him from Egypt? And it was so far removed from the fact that God, Jehovah, brought them out. And now, Moses is missing in action. And they said, make us a God. And Aaron, the high priest, the one who should know better, was the one that said, bring the golden earrings. And look at the effort that went into it created a molten calf and presented that Israel is the God that brought you out. Was God happy with that? No. They had in their mind the worship of a true God but the wrong way. And God did not accept it. Can I submit to you this morning that most of the worship problems in the church today comes from set ministries? Pastors who are supposed to know better, creating their own self-invention as to what worship should be. And unfortunately for those of us in the pew who knows no better, just follow without checking and saying, ah, this is true. When Pastor Bakra was here in uh, April, he shared with us a ministry, a very high profile ministry who at a meeting told all the congregation to buy combs because they are going to in that one day do a service where if you want God to uh, how, how did they put it if you don't want if you don't want to go back to your past failures, you comb your hair to the back. <laughs> See, you guys are laughing. You think it's a joke. And if you want success for your future, you comb your hair to the front. Now, he said it. He said it in his service. And after the service, we got together and he played the video for me. I saw the video with my own eyes. I, I, I really thought about showing it this morning, but I didn't do that. And let me tell you why. I believe that this man has a true, genuine ministry from God. And the reason I'm not showing a video, I don't want to pollute your mind to where you immediately say, this guy is not a man of God. Because of that. That's, I, I, I just didn't want to interfere with your... I, don't, I didn't want to interfere with your... Uh, with your... Libeling him as a person that's not a man. It's, it's not that he's not a man of God. But I watched the thing and I said, I couldn't believe it. Hundreds of thousands of people. Some of them have three or four or five combs. 
different colors. Now, if you want to see it personally in your house, uh, let's Revelation send it to you but on your image, just so you can watch it, so, so you can understand what I'm saying to you. Prominent men, if I mention the kind of men that were there, you will know who I'm talking about. That's why I don't want to mention it. Because my goal is not to castigate the ministry, but to make a point. But surely that kind of a thing, not only that, not only they say, come here to the back, come here to the front, he said, if you are bald-headed, it's a true story, it's on the video. He said, if you are bald-headed, just use run the comb on your bald head anyhow. <laughs> true story. And then he went on to say this. If you are traveling, if you are going for a business meeting, if you are going to the embassy to get a visa, put the comb in your pocket. He said, don't ever leave home without a comb. What is in the comb? So who are we turning people to? To Jesus Christ or to an object? And unfortunately, the hundreds of thousands of people there, Amen! Yes! Yes! I said, oh my God. Worship of the true God in the wrong way. The wrong way. Let's look at a couple more examples. We in the pulpit are the problem. We are the problem. We are the problem. And God help us to become the solution. But not only that, you that sit in the pew, you must also understand the challenge to you. You need to become like the Berean Christian. Searching the scriptures to see if these things be so. It's not enough that one man or a woman stand up and preach to you. No. This is your life. You need to examine the scriptures. You need to read the Bible. You need to know God for yourself. Your pastor will not be there when the enemy is beating you down. You can't get before God and say, well, my pastor didn't tell me so. Really? He says in his word in the book of Hebrews, the anointing is there to teach you. You do not need any man to teach you, but God will write it in the tablets of your heart. No, don't, you can't put that on me. It's your life. And you need to take responsibility for it. Absolutely. But most of the mess that's coming is coming from the pulpit. That's where it's coming from. And you need to know that. So you need to hear. That's why Jesus says, take heed what you're hearing. And take heed how you're hearing. Don't take what we say in the pulpit as gospel alone. No, you better go home and pray and read and know for yourself. I am telling you that. Just so you know. Jesus is not fallible, but I am fallible. <laughs> yes. You guys are looking at me very funny. Amen? Yeah. Let's look at some other examples. Genesis chapter 3, in verse 4. Genesis chapter 3, verse 4. If you just give that to me on the overhead. Genesis 3, 4. Thank you. What? No, Genesis 4 4. I'm sorry. You see, I just became fallible. You see that? 
I just, you just saw my fallibility right there. Genesis chapter 4. Okay, we can start from verse 1. Okay. All right. Can we start from verse 2, sir? Thank you. Then she bore again. This time his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. Verse 3. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering. Next verse. But he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. So why? Why did God have respect for Abel's offering and not Cain? Because Cain devised in his own heart how he was going to worship God, not what God prescribed. At that particular time, God was looking for an animal sacrifice Cain decided, you know what, God, I know you look for animal sacrifice. I'm going to bring you what I got. My fruit, my produce. And God did not respect it. So here we see another example of man trying to worship the true God, but in man's self-invented way. Huge. And what happened? God did not accept it. How many worships, how many things we do for God that God does not accept? Because that's not what God wants. Remember what it says in John 3.23? He's looking for what? True worshippers. True worshippers. Worship that's acceptable to him. So if it's going to be acceptable to God, God has to have a prescribed way in which you must worship him for it to be acceptable to him. Yes. No, it's just like this. It's just like this. Most of us in families will understand this. A husband wants to bless his wife for, his, for her birthday. Okay? So you went and buy her something that you, the husband, like. You like it. You're the husband. I mean, you, you really like this. Thing. You just give it to her. And you accept her. Wow, this is wonderful. Well, she's not moved. You know why she's not moved? That's not what she wants. You gave her what you want. And you expect her to be moved by what you want. And she's saying, wake up, dude. No. So if I want to please my wife for her birthday, I need to know what she wants. I need to know what will make her happy. And therefore, I need to invest in that which she will want, not what I want. And so when I give her what she wants then I can get the wow moment. Amen? Amen. But if I just give her what I want, no matter how expensive it is, it will not move her. And that's what many of us are doing with God. We just find something and say we're going to give it to God, we're going to say it to God, and whether that's what he wants or not, we expect God to say, man, that's so nice. No, he's not saying that. It's not saying that. And we're going to get to these acceptable modes of worship next week. But right now, let's just understand that any worship of the true God that's done in a self-styled, self-invented way does not move God. Let's go to one more. Leviticus chapter 10. Leviticus chapter 10. Verses 1 and 2. 
Leviticus 10, verses 1 and 2. Nadab, Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took a censer and put fire in it, put incense on it, and offered profane fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. Did you see that? They thought they were doing a good thing. Verse 2. So fire went out from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. These are the sons of the priest. Simply speaking, contemporary terms, they burned incense with strange fire before God. And God killed them. Thank God it's not killing anybody today. Yes. <laughs> Otherwise, we all be, we'll be running funeral homes in church on Sunday morning. <laughs> we'll be rolling caskets in and out, man. People will be dying left, right, center. Thank God that era is over. Yes. But they were worshiping God in their own self-invented ways. Why? Because the only fire that God accepted to be placed on the incense is the fire that came from God's presence himself. So they had, a, they found a shortcut. We will not go to the temple and get the fire from the temple. We make our own fire. And they offered it to God. And God said, no way. No way. Not only did he say no way, he killed them. What are you saying to God in prayer? Are you speaking God's words back to him in prayer or are you inventing your own prayer? Because incense is praying. Psalms 141 verse 2. David said that to us clearly. Revelation chapter 5 verse 8. Incense is the praying of the saints. So God is saying to you and I, through this Israelite and through this example, that any prayer that he will accept from you as worship must be prayer that he generated. It's quiet. Praise God. I love the quietness. He, God, prescribed for the Israelites the ingredients of the incense. They could not change it. And the Bible is clear to you and I. Whatsoever is bound in heaven will be bound on earth. Whatsoever is loose in heaven will be loose in the earth. So whatever you are binding, you better be sure it has been bound in heaven. You have no right on earth to bind anything that the heaven has not bound. That will be strange fire. You have no right to lose on the earth what heaven has not loosed. Ah, you guys are looking at me funny. Oh my God, we're going to have a long day here. I'm taking off my jacket. <laughs> Is that not clear? Listen, listen. Listen, listen. We already determined you cannot be a true worshiper except you be born again. The Spirit of God is what places in you. The Spirit of God is what recreates your human spirit. And therefore, God makes your body his residence. So you don't think that God knows what he wants to do at any given moment? You think you and I can direct God and tell God what to do when he needs to do it? No. No. Wrong theology. 
This theology sounds good to us, but it's not in the Bible. Listen, the very next chapter, John chapter 5, verse 19, Jesus, the Son of God in earth, says, I cannot do anything except what I see my father doing. So who are you or me to recreate a new job that God has not done? You want me to show it in, to in, for you in the Bible? John 5, 19 and John 5, 30. Two verses in one chapter. Jesus made it clear that his role on the earth is to fulfill the mission of whatever his father is doing. That was the reason in which his direction was changed in John chapter 4 and he must need to go to Samaria. Why? Because God is doing something in Samaria and he needed to be a part of it. He's not doing anything on his own by himself. And so if God in Jesus did not do anything on their own or by himself, who are you and I? Ah, no, no. I, I need to, you guys are looking at me very funny. <laughs> but is it not clear? Is it a mystery? Is it extra biblical what I'm telling you? Listen, the prayer God answers is the prayer that he has prayed. The prayer he answers is the prayer he's praying through you. That's why the Bible says in Philippians, it is God that is at work in me and you, both to will and to do of his own good pleasure. Not your pleasure. We are not on the earth calling the shots in heaven. For heaven. No. Dr. McHenby broke that down the last time I was here so powerfully. Our theology has taught us that there is a garden. God created Adam and Eve. And because they fell, Jesus came. That's what tradition and religion has taught for years in the church. That's what I was taught. Jesus came because Adam fell. Is that, is, is that, that, was, that not, was that not the basic thing we were all taught for a long time? Jesus came because Adam fell. Which means if that's the case, if that theory is correct, then man controls God. Adam fell, Jesus had to come. So I mess up, Jesus has to move. That's what that theory means. Yes. Nothing can be further from the truth. A lie, abomination. Because Jesus came before Adam fell. Yes. Yes. Revelation. The Lamb of God was slain from before the foundation of the earth. Before the earth was ever made, was ever created, before Adam was made, Eve was made, before they ever sinned, Jesus was. Yes. Amen. In the beginning was the word. Hallelujah. And what was with God? And what was God? And what became flesh and dwelt among us. But before it became flesh, it was. Yes. Amen. No. So we don't control God. We don't control heaven. Heaven controls everything else. Jesus did not come because Adam failed. God already knew Adam would fail before he made him. And Jesus already, as far as God was concerned, went to the cross before Adam ever failed. Oh my God. Oh, I'm so happy. Hallelujah. I don't know about you guys, but I am preaching myself happy. 
Just knowing that God, my destiny was already secured, guaranteed, assured by God before he ever created this earth, makes me feel, my God, I, don't, I, want, I want to do something. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Who born the devil? Who in the world is the devil? You guys give the devil much more credence. No. God is not waiting to see what the devil does and then he can't ask it. No. He's not waiting to see me mess up and then he fixes it. No. He fixed it before I mixed it up. So what Nahab and Adab, uh, what's his name? Nadab and Abahu did speaks to us today. You don't invent your own prayers. You allow God to birth praying in you. And you just align yourself with heaven and say, God, this is what you pray. I join you in your prayer. I release it for a manifestation in the earth. Yes. Some of the things we pray sound good to traditional religion. God break their neck. It sounds good. It's like you are making this happen. Where did you get that from? God is not breaking anybody's neck. He's fixing necks, not breaking them. But they sound good to us because we are so focused on the enemy rather than we focus on God. Because when you are focused on God, God takes care of your enemies. Yes. And may I just say this? While I'm on that, and we address this at Gosim, one of the things that grace should do in your life, number one, other than apart from you loving people around you, you it needs to change the way you pray and the way you worship. Let me leave praying for a minute. Let's talk, let's talk about worship. Songs. The songs you sing should be different. You should not be singing the same songs of unbelief. No. In the days of Ezekiel. What's that song? Sing it for me. Revelation. That song of this. We must, I must never hear that song again in this church. No, these are not the days of Elijah. Thank God for Elijah. He was a great man used by God. But these are the days of Jesus Christ. Yes. But we get on the platform, we say, it sounds good. We are rocking to it. The days of Elijah, the days of Ezekiel. Oh, hallelujah. What? God is trying to move us forward. You want to go backwards? <laughs> you guys, you guys, you guys. Those songs, those, those songs sound good, but they are totally songs of unbelief. There are many of them like that. I can't remember all of them. You cannot remember either? Thank God you can't remember. If you believe that the work is finished by Christ, sing song that say that, not anything else. Amen. Amen. 
and the songs you're listening to in your car or at home should be the same, not just on the platform. Because what these things are doing is poisoning your spirit. On the one hand, you're trying to move forward. On the other hand, you bring yourself back and you wonder why you're not getting the results. No. I don't want to hear those songs any longer. They, they, they were good for their day, but not, 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 not based on where I am now. So I told those pastors at Gosim, go back to your churches and change your songs. You can't be preaching something and then you're singing something that's different. Same thing with your intercession. Remember that, that prayer in scripture, 2 Corinthians 7 14? If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face, then I will hear from heaven. Forgive their, line, forgive their sins and heal their land. Really? In 2016? After the cross? After the cross? Wrong prayer. Verse is still valid, but not praying. Why? Because God has forgiven all lands. What we need is a manifestation of that forgiveness. So rather than me praying and ask God to forgive a land, I should be praying for the land to come into manifestation of the forgiveness that's available for them. Wow. Wrong prayer. But we stand up and we rock it. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray. It sounds good, it's, but it's totally unbiblical. You will not find that prayer in the book of Acts, in the book of Romans, in the book of First Corinthians, Second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Thessalonians. You will not find any such prayer. Amen. You're asking God to forgive people he's forgiven. He's going to say to you, Mary, what, what, is, what is the problem? You didn't get a memo? Jesus said, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they are doing. Ah, everybody's not going to go die and go to heaven. No, that's not what we're saying. We're saying as far as God is concerned, the work is done. Mankind forgiven. But the man must come into, ma- into realization of that forgiveness. And repent and then be born again. But as far as God's concerned, it's done. So for me to be begging God to forgive me, people is forgiven, it's like I've lost my marbles. But those are things we just do out of default, automatically. Because that's the way we've been programmed, that's the way we've been taught for years, and we just carried over. We never stop to think for a moment, how does this change of this son of God that came into the world, how does that change me going forward? Say, strength fire. Say, say, strange fire. Strange fire. <laughs> so we must not offer to God strange fires. We must not, we must not offer to God strange fires. Now, there's, there's an element of this that I can share, but it would take too long to explain it. Maybe I better just leave it alone. Because out of the abundance of God's mercies, out of the abundance of his mercies, even today, when we offer these strange fires, not only does it not kill us, sometimes it honors it. The people that's coming here to the back and to the front, even though it's totally extra biblical, it's not God 
But every now and then, there is a manifestation. There's a scripture for that in Ezekiel 14. But I don't want to get into that now because that really, that takes us way to the left field. That is why God is God and I'm not God. However, you must understand the intent of the enemy to get you to the left field, to be doing the wrong thing. And every now and then you get manifestation. You know what the enemy is doing? He's keeping you there so you don't ever learn and know the right thing. Oh, yeah. Gets you there, parked there. You are blinded. You can never see the truth. Because you say, well, he walked yesterday. He walked last week. Or he walked last month. And so now, you use the fact that he walked once to justify you staying there. You need to be careful. In fact, it's in the scriptures. The Israelites annoyed God. They complained about not eating meat. The Bible said God gave them meat and kill them while they were eating it. It's in the Bible. Have you ever read that scripture? The Bible said, why the meat was in their nose, he killed them. <laughs> he did. He answered them reluctantly because he knows this is crazy. Why are you guys asking for this? Okay, I'm going to give it to you, but you die. Is that what you want? God forbid, in Jesus' name. That will not be our portion in the name of Jesus. And that's why we're going to do it the right way. One last one here on this notion of self-styled, self-invented way. Go with me to Second Samuel chapter 6. So I beg you, worship and art. Don't take us backwards by singing songs of unbelief. You guys didn't do that this morning. You didn't do that last week. You didn't do that the week before. Now that I've said it openly, clearly here, if you guys ever go back to Egypt, you're going to see me come out here <laughs> and do this. <laughs> we don't want to go back to Egypt. Amen? We want to go to Zion. We are forward marching. Second Samuel chapter 3. I mean, chapter 6. Second Samuel chapter 6. Verse 3. Okay, let's, let's start from verse 2. Thank you. Thank you very much. And David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Baal Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, whose name is called by the name, the Lord of hosts, who dwells between the cherub. So they set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill, and Uzzah and Ahihu, the sons of Abinadab, drove the new cart. Now this is the context. Let me just give you the context before we move on. The Ark of the Covenant was a piece of furniture in the tabernacle of Moses that represented the power of God, the presence of God, the glory of God in Israel. Okay? Very deep and rich history to this Ark. All the 40 years that Saul was king, the Ark was captured in enemy territory, the Philistines. David became king of all Israel, and being a worshiper as he was, he said, how can we keep on worshiping and God is not present? The ark. So he told Israel and the leaders, he said, let's go and get the ark back from Philistine. So here, that's what they did. They went to get the ark. However, in getting this ark, okay, let's read on. And then uh, verse 4. Let's see. 
And he brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill, accompanying the ark of God, a hill went before the ark. Okay? Look at verse 5. Then David and all the house of Israel played music before the Lord on all kinds of instruments of fur, wood, harps, on string instruments, on tambourines, on systems, and on cymbals. Now, isn't it amazing? They are bringing this ark back to Israel after it's been gone for 40 years. But accompanying the ark was all kinds of musical instruments. By the way, up to this time in Israel, there was no music. David ushered in the time and era of music in Israel. That's another subject entirely. That shows you how incredible this guy was, David. But it's amazing to me that God allowed them. They were carrying this ark on a cart, we are told, with music playing around it. So if you were there as a spectator that day, you say, man, the anointing is here. All kinds of music going on. I mean, I can just imagine. Powerful music. And God just, okay. Mind number one. Mind number two. Mind number three. They're on their way. And nothing ever happened to them. Until they got to Nahon's threshing floor. In verse six. And when they came to Nahon's threshing floor, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it. For the oxen stumbled. Then the anger of God was aroused against Uzzah. And God struck him there for his error. And he died there by the, by, by the ark of God. Let me ask you a question. Why, why did he die? Is it because he touched it? Or because they put it on the ark? Okay, let, 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 me, let, me, let, me, let me say that again. The instruction in Israel was that the ark was always to be carried on the shoulders of the priest. But when they went to get this ark, they put it on a cart rather than carry it on the shoulder. Is that correct? Yeah. And it seemed to be fine because they were playing music and moving it along until Uzzah touched it because it was going to fall down from the, from the cart. So my question to you is, which one, what was the offense? The touching of it or the carrying it on the on the cart. What do you say? She said both. I agree with you. It's both. It's both. It's both. But that leads me to the next question. If it is both, why did they not die when they put it on the, on the cart? Because to even place it in the cart, it had to have been touched. So the touching alone here could not have been the only problem. Because they touched it before they put it in the cart. See, they touched it, carried it, put it in the cart, and drove it for miles. And then finally, judgment struck. So what's, what's the lesson there for us? God is long-suffering. He allowed them time to think, change, correct their action. He gave them time. But this is the point. This is the point. This is the main point. What they were doing was a good thing. 
They were bringing the ark back to Israel. But in the wrong, wrong way. They invented their own way. God never told them to put that ark on a cart. They invented that. Where did they get that from? What Philistines were doing. Because the Philistines had the ark on a cart. So the point here is the church was copying the world. And God said, I will have none of that. Rather, the world must copy the church and not the other way around. What have we borrowed? What have you borrowed from the world that you've now introduced in your worship to God? What is it that you see them doing? Justin Bieber. Is that the name of that boy? <laughs> Justin Bieber. Is it Bieber or Bieber? I don't know. Justin Bieber. Okay. I know you guys will know because you're, you're dancing to the music all the time. So you'll know. Whether it's Justin Bieber, what's the other one? The, the girl that's always in trouble. Rihanna? Okay. Rihanna, is that a boy or a girl? I don't know. You cannot bring the world into the church and offer it to God. God will not accept it. Amen? So we know, number one, we don't offer worship to false gods. Number two, we don't worship God, the true God, in, an, uh, in, a, in a way that we invent ourselves. And lastly, and this is where I close today, lastly, lastly, we must not worship God in the wrong attitude. This is the biggie. False God, we can check that. Easy. Worship the true God in the wrong way, I correct my praying, I correct my singing, I, you, know, I, you know, I honor those around me, on and on. I can manage. Wrong attitude. Huge. Huge. Let's read a couple of scriptures. Amos chapter 5. Amos chapter 5 verse 21. We must not worship in the wrong attitude. Amos chapter 5 verse 21. Look at what God says. I hate, I despise your feast days. And I do not favor your secret assemblies. Though you offer me burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them. Nor will I regard your, uh, your fattened peace offerings. Take away from me the noise of your songs. Woo! This guy seems to have an attitude here. <laughs> I mean, this is... I mean, <laughs> I mean, this is, come on, Jehovah, what's, what's going on over there? I mean, hey, what's Gabriel doing to you up there? <laughs> I mean, did you say that? Take away from me the notes of your songs, for I will not hear the melody of your string instruments. My goodness. Why? But let justice run down like water and righteousness like a mighty stream. Did you offer me sacrifices and offerings in the wilderness for 40 years, O house of Israel? You also carried Sikuth, that's a false god, idol, your king, and Chim, your idols, the star of your gods, which you made for yourselves. Therefore, I will send you into captivity beyond Damascus, says the Lord, 
whose name is Gadafos. Wow! I will not talk about this, but you can write this down and read this on your own. Malachi chapter 1, verses 6 through 14. Similar thing as we just read. Incredible. God ordained the feast days. He was the one that gave them the feast days. But he said, I will not honor it. He was the one that ordained what they brought in sacrifice. He said, I don't want them. Don't even sing to me. Why? He said, what I want to see is fruit of righteousness. Justice. In other words, let's break it down. Talk about attitudes. Do I leave home offended by my wife cussing her out and I come to church on Sunday morning? And I lift up holy hands, or really in this case, soiled hands before God? And I had a quarrel with her that I did not reserve or settle, and I have the audacity to come to church and put on my Christianist face, lift up soiled unholy hands, and say, I'm praising God. Hello? Have I just had a terrible conversation with my boss, my co-worker, my friend, whoever they may be, offended them, and have the audacity to come into the, into the sanctuary and say, Hallelujah, oh bless the Lord, oh my soul. Da, 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 da. Na, 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 na. Are you, who are you singing to, Muhammad or Buddha? God said, I will not accept that. Take your noise away from me. Don't even give your offering. It doesn't count. Your attitude is wrong. Maybe you didn't have a fight with your wife, but you, you are mean towards her, or she's mean towards you. You, are, you guys are just, you are, you, are, you are just tolerating one another from day to day to day to day, but you want to come God, to God and, ask, and, and romance God. Are you kidding me? Which God? Wrong attitude. Because if I violate my first ministry, I have no ministry before God. Huge. Are you guys getting that? So we say we don't worship false gods. Okay? I don't worship the true God in a self-invented wrong way. Good. How about your attitude? When you're giving that offering, I say, ah, my, which kind of God is this? I have to give $5 again. Ah, ah, that $5. That's a whopper. That's a whopper. <laughs> and, and your face is frowned up. You, 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 if, if God was to show up, you may, you may want to slap him. Wait, wait, wait. $5. You're wasting your time. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus talking. You are at the altar. You remember that your friend has ought against you. It's not you against him. It's them against you. Oh, did you hear what I just said? Yes, sir. It's not that you have an ought against them. Yeah. But you remember your friend is not happy with you. They have ought against you. Yes. God has given you the, how can I put it? He said, okay, Greg, I know. You are right. Your friend is wrong. All right. The problem is your friend. Let's settle that. Your friend is a problem. However, even with that, don't dare give that gift. Go and find your friend. Even though they are wrong, bring them back. Restore go. them. Thank you. Reconcile them. Thank you. Then offer to me. Thank you, Pastor. Because when you reconcile and restore with them, you've just worshipped me. Wow. 
Now, I wonder how many illegal, illegitimate offerings we just offer this morning. People were wounded. We never even gave it a thought. Some of us, where we, have a, we carry a wound ministry. When we step in the room, the issue is how many people will we wound in that room before we leave that door? Left, right, center, broken relationships. Wounded people. Every time they come across around us, we are like porcupine. We're sticking them. They leave damage. Oh my God. Man. And then we say we are Christians. And we wonder why nobody wants what we have. We are killing people, not giving them life. Jesus said he wants to see justice. He wants to see righteousness. You're a businessman, businesswoman, you are always cheating people. They cannot bring you and say, this is thing, one dollar. You say, can I get it for ten cents? Because you think you have the gift of negotiation, the gift of robbing people, the gift of ripping them off. You cannot go to Macy's and pay, and pay ten cents for it, but because Bushy brought to me, Bushy, oh, this is Bushy, I know you. Give him for ten cents. Justice. Justice. We look at certain people, we say this people, this group of people, their work must be cheap. Must be cheap. Therefore, if I ever engage them to do any service for me, I must cut it down as low as possible. They must be cheap. Where is that justice? Because you must understand, God is a God of the underdog. The dog of the fatherless. The God of the fatherless. The God of the motherless. The God of those that cannot help themselves. That's who he is. That's whose champion he is. He won Israel. Remember you are a stranger in Egypt. You are an illegal alien in Egypt. And in your status as an illegal, I protected you. I watched over you. I kept you. I blessed you. Now you are a free man. You have status. Be mindful how you treat strangers. And we as believers, we don't think like that at all. The world has taken away our head. Oh my God. He has totally taken away our brain. We only think in terms of dollars and cents. Don't understand there will be a time when we'll face God and you'll not have to spend dollars and cents. Dollars and cents is not for eternity. It's only for a time. You cannot relate to people just on that basis only. No! God is bigger than that. Where is the justice? Where is the fruit of righteousness? From the day you were born again, whether you were born again today or you've been born again for 90 years, we are all righteous through the Lord Jesus Christ. However, the Bible talks about fruit of righteousness. Even though we are all righteous, we will manifest the fruit in varying degrees and varying levels. So God wants to know, where's your fruit of righteousness? When you're dealing with your wife, you, with your children, with your husband, with your friends, co-workers, business partners. Remember, worship is not Sunday morning. It's your lifestyle. It's what you do every day. Every day. Every day. Every single day. And the cumulative effect 
of worshiping all the time is when we now come together as a, a group or a corporate gathering, there's an explosion because now all of us are doing the right things. Yes. Attitude. So God does not want you and I to go, go through the motions. He wants us to live the life. I do not worship false God. I do not worship the true God in a self-invented wrong way. But how about my attitude? Can I use a little more justice in my life today? I'm closing now. I'm, I'm talking to us now. Can we be a little more just to one another? Can we demonstrate a little more fruit of righteousness? Can I be a little more considerate to people that cross me, cross my path? Don't act right, don't do right, don't talk right. Can I be more considerate to them? Realizing, remembering the fact that God was considerate to me. Remember how this started? I beseech you, therefore, by the mercies of God. Have you ever enjoyed any mercy from God? Has God been merciful to you in any way? Can you give some of that mercy you received to someone who needs it? Are we so now that holy that we are so removed away from the filth of the world in which we live in? Did not the Bible say that where sin abounds, grace much more abounds? So as, as my wife, my husband gets more offensive, more annoying, more irritating, should I not call for more grace on my part? To say, I don't know why this man is doing this. I don't know why this woman is doing it. But God, if you allow them to do so, then there must be grace left for you to release in me to overcome that irritation. Can we not put that on us rather than put it on them? Rather than point the finger to the other person, can we not say, God, I receive more grace from you? So that I can live above this irritation, above this conflict, above this annoyance. And in so doing, release the fragrance of the knowledge of Christ in that situation. Amen. Is that not why he left us here and did not take us to heaven? So we can display to the world around us the glory of this Christ man. Father, I thank you, Lord God, that we will not just hear words, but we hear your voice. That you, God, will help us to locate those areas where we need to make paradigm, paradigm shifts, paradigm changes, adjustments in our thinking, adjustments in our understanding, and helping us, God, to really become that which you are seeking, true worshipers. And so, God, we thank you today that you are working in us, both to do and to, both to will and to do of your good pleasure. Thank you because you've created us for your pleasure. For your glory and for your pleasure, we were created. We are thanking you, Lord God, that we will in fact be a fragrance of sweet-smelling savor in your nostril because of your work in us and through us. Thank you, Father God. We bless you this morning. Thank you for opening the eyes of our understanding that we hear you correctly, we see you accurately, and we leave you out in our world so that your name 
alone may be glorified. Thank you, Lord, that you get the glory and the honor, the praise and the adoration from everything we ever do. We honor you. We bless you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.